BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles, and we start with more shots and more arms. Starting next week, California will vastly expand eligibility for the coronavirus vaccine, says Governor Gavin Newsom. On April 1st, in the state of California, anyone 50 and over will be able to get a vaccine in our state. On April 15th, everybody in the state of California 16 and over can get a vaccine. How can California do this? Well, the governor says he's confident that a lot more vaccine is on its way to the state from the federal government. California expects to receive about two and a half million first and second doses per week in the first half of April and more than three million doses by the end of the month. The state currently is receiving about 1.8 million doses a week. In Southern California, many community clinics are welcoming the state's decision to make everyone over 50 eligible for a COVID-19 vaccine. As KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports, the clinics say streamlining eligibility can't come soon enough. For weeks, clinic directors have had to explain confusing eligibility guidelines and sometimes turn people away in the areas that have been hit hardest by the pandemic. Soon, they won't have to. Jerry Abraham is the director of Kedron Community Health Center. He's looking forward to being able to vaccinate everyone 16 and older. Getting grandma vaccinated and yet you've got five to ten people coming in and out of that one-bedroom apartment is not a safe environment and it wasn't the best strategy. We just didn't have enough doses and resources to do more. Jim Manja is the CEO of St. John's Well Child and Family Center, which operates a network of clinics in L.A. The federally qualified health centers can take care of making sure that the needles get in the arms of people who need them in the underserved communities of Los Angeles and California. Both say they've been promised an increasing number of vaccine doses in the next two weeks. For The California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. With opening day less than a week away, Major League Baseball teams that have been turned into mass vaccination sites have reached a milestone, distributing more than a million shots across the country. Eleven ballparks, including Dodger Stadium, the Oakland Coliseum, and Petco Park in San Diego, were converted to vaccination centers in the off-season. Many say they will continue to provide doses even after the regular season begins next Thursday. San Diego officials have announced that the site of Petco Park will be 
closing, but Dodger Stadium and the Coliseum will continue to offer shots. COVID-19 infection rates are dropping in California, yet singing in public is still considered a high-risk activity. So, in an alliance of art and science, UC San Francisco and the San Francisco Opera have teamed up to develop a new type of mask to keep performers safe as they return to the stage. With more, here's KQED's Chloe Veltman. That's Sunziana Roman on Zoom, demoing the new mask she's invented for singers. Roman is a classically trained soprano who also happens to be a professor of surgery at UCSF. Roman is part of a group of UCSF medical experts who've been meeting virtually with San Francisco opera staffers every week since last June to talk about what it would take to bring live opera back. You have to have good ventilation. You still have to have some separation uh, from each other. And ultimately, you need to have a lot of good testing. Roman's new face covering is also part of this effort. She says she prototyped the invention at her kitchen table from old surgical masks. It was really designed to get singers practicing, working together, being in close proximity without worrying so much about aerosol. Aerosols are this fine mist of tiny particles produced while singing that tend to float in the air for extended periods of time. This makes them potentially more hazardous than the larger droplets created by regular speaking, which generally fall to the ground more easily. A Washington choir practice turns deadly. The media has reported on several singing-related COVID-19 outbreaks over the past year, including one in Washington state that left two choristers dead. In tests conducted at UC Davis, the new mask proved to be almost as efficient at filtering out particles as the gold standard N95. It has a really nice um, drawstring at the bottom that goes underneath your chin to ensure, again, that there isn't aerosols escaping through the bottom of the mask. San Francisco Opera resident artist Anne-Marie McIntosh got to try out and offer feedback on the new mask. She says it's made of cotton, washable, has plastic boning to keep it off the face. And also it has a roll-up uh, extension at the bottom, which you can open up to uh, like drink water out of so that you're not having to take the mask on and off in rehearsal and putting yourself and others in danger. Macintosh unfurls the long flap at the front of the mask. It flops around like the trunk of a dejected elephant. Not very flattering. But Macintosh says after months of being stuck in her apartment doing rehearsals on Zoom, she can live with the aesthetics. We're creating a new trend here. Uh... <laughs> Other opera companies have also been developing their own masks. Opera San Jose General Director Corey Dastor says she can see them becoming part of a performer's everyday toolkit alongside throat lozenges well after this pandemic ends. If it reduces our risk to get the flu or to get any kind of run-of-the-mill rhinovirus, that will stay. Back in San Francisco, soprano Anne-Marie McIntosh is about to get her first chance to sing before a live audience in more than a year. Together with a bunch of fellow San Francisco opera artists, Macintosh is ramping up for a series of live outdoor performances in late April and May, so she's getting used to practising in her new mask. Macintosh says rehearsing in the mask isn't ideal, it gets a little stuffy in there after a while, but she says she'll do whatever it takes to bring her music to live audiences once again. For The California Report, I'm Chloe Veltman. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists and more. 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. A new study shows that California's rules to crack down on diesel pollution from vehicles like trucks and heavy equipment are having a real-world positive effect. The study, published by the journal Science, found that over a 24-year period, California cut diesel pollution by 78%, despite an increase in diesel fuel use. Diesel exhaust can be nasty to human health, causing heart and lung problems, and there are links to cancer cases. The researchers say the state's diesel rules prevented hundreds of early deaths in the state. And in legal news, defendants in California can no longer be held in jail simply because they can't afford to post bail. That after a landmark state Supreme Court ruling yesterday. It's being celebrated by criminal justice reformers who argue cash bail is inherently unfair. But as KQED's Alex Emsley reports, the ruling doesn't abolish cash bail's use. Instead, Trial court judges are now barred from setting bail higher than defendants can afford to pay. And unless a defendant poses a clear and convincing chance of skipping court or reoffending, judges must consider alternatives to pretrial detention, such as ankle monitors. I'm over the moon. State Senator Robert Hertzberg's efforts to abolish cash bail were overturned in a referendum last election. He hailed the Supreme Court's ruling. It doesn't end money bail, but it ends the injustice of money bail. Hertzberg noted that California's median bail is five times that of the rest of the country. He has a new bill in the state Senate that would set bail at zero for most low-level offenses. University of San Francisco law professor Laura Bazelon says bail often disproportionately harms the poor and people of color. Those are the people generally who are not able to be released, not able to fight their case, not able to pay their rent, whose families spiral into a circle of poverty. And that system that we've had for so long is not only racist, it's a driver of mass incarceration. A spokesperson for the California Bail Agents Association said the ruling was long anticipated and fair. For the California Report, I'm Alex Emsley. A handful of journalists were among those taken into custody following a second night of protests over the closure of a homeless encampment at Echo Lake Park in Los Angeles. The LAPD declared an unlawful assembly last night, claiming demonstrators were shining strobe lights in the eyes of officers. It's unclear how many people were detained after the group failed to disperse, but several reporters were taken into custody, despite identifying themselves as journalists. All were later released. L.A. City Councilman Mitchell Farrell, who has been criticized for not being more open about the closure of the encampment, called for calm and cooperation. But two of his colleagues spoke out against the arrests. Councilman Mike Bonin called it a disgrace and a shameful day for Los Angeles. Fellow Councilman Kevin DeLeon called it a violation of the First Amendment and says the LAPD needs to change its policies on dealing with journalists. Also in Los Angeles, 
hundreds of women who claim they were sexually abused by a longtime former USC campus gynecologist have settled with the university for $852 million. That's the largest settlement of its type ever reached with a university. The deal covers more than 700 plaintiffs who claim George Tyndall abused them dating as far back as the 1980s. Tyndall has denied any wrongdoing and USC has repeatedly denied allegations of a cover-up. Including previous settlements, the school is paying out more than $1.1 billion to settle lawsuits related to Tyndall. In the tech world, at a House hearing yesterday, the chief executives of Facebook, Twitter, and Google defended their mixed efforts to protect users from toxic content. More now from Rachel Myro, senior editor of KQED's Silicon Valley News Desk. It's become a regular form of political theater in Washington, D.C. Lawmakers grilled Silicon Valley's most prominent tech execs for hours about a growing laundry list of examples where content moderation failed. There's the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol promoted online, COVID-19 misinformation and disinformation, mass shootings inspired by hate speech, all this despite substantial investment in identifying and labeling or deleting posts, detailed here by Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. We invest billions of dollars in in our integrity programs, including having more than 1,000 engineers working on this and 35,000 people doing content review across the company. The numbers are jaw-dropping, but so are the real-world failures. Increasingly, industry analysts say social media giants face litigation, legislation, and regulation in the coming year, here in the U.S. and across the globe. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro in Menlo Park. And now to a preview of our sister show, The California Report's Weekly Magazine. Producer Amanda Font introduces us to a man who built his career helping professional athletes recover from injuries. Now he's bringing that expertise to people battling COVID symptoms. Murphy Shields' clients include some of the Bay Area's biggest sports stars, 49er Hall of Famer Jerry Rice, Derek Dees, Chester Sapolo, a lot of the offense and defensive players. Plus, Giants players like Barry Bonds and Willie McCovey. Take your hand out. But when the pandemic hit, Shields pivoted. Bring your arm down. And when you bring your arm down, you want to deep breathe with it. Ready? Joni Gerardo is one of those clients. It's like there's a band around your chest and it's just sucking in your lungs. She's a preschool teacher who contracted COVID back in December. Gerardo started training with Shields on day six of her illness. She says working with him has made a big difference. And he's just a a kind, caring human being. Shields says he's glad he can use his skills to help people fight back against COVID. The greatest success in the world is being in a position to help someone else. For the California Report, I'm Amanda Font. And you can hear more about Harvey Shields on this week's California Report magazine, on public radio stations, or subscribe to their podcast. And that's the California Report for Friday, March 26th, a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin, Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, and Jim Bennett, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin, Holly J. McDeed, and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day and weekend. Support for the California Report comes from California Healthcare Foundation, 
ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care on the web at chcf.org voices. The James Irvine Foundation, accepting nominations now for the 2022 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvineawards.org, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Happy reading! 